0: We've been, um, I'll speak for myself, I have really enjoyed this uh, preaching series. Uh, As you know, I began the study of this way back in the summer when we were on our sabbatical, and so much of this has been in me, and it's been wonderful to preach this beautiful text in 2 Corinthians. And we have two more weeks today and next week, and um, I trust that God has really ministered to you through this word as well. Um, uh, My assignment for this week is to read chapters 10 and 11 uh, every day. Okay, we're going to be looking at these two chapters. Uh, We'll mostly look at the first few verses of chapter 11, but these two chapters are what uh, is called by theologians, uh, Paul's, the fool's speech, F-O-O-L-S, fool's speech, and it's kind of um, literary irony is what it is, and Paul speaks tongue-in-cheek But I just want you to know that uh, when you read these two chapters, you'll be reading uh, about this irony that Paul is suggesting and talking about false apostles, false teachers, and that's our subject uh, for today. Um, I think we all recognize that sometimes uh, people, even in church, don't always get along. Maybe that's not your experience. I've been a pastor for 30-some years, and I've been in church since my mother used to tell me I was two days old, so I know church, and I know that people don't always get along. It's like the man who was uh, shipwrecked on a deserted island, and he was there for two years by himself, all alone, and then uh, the rescuers came, thank God, and they came, and they showed up, and they rescued this man, and one of the rescuers said to him, he said, now, these two years you've been here, you've built three beautiful, really grass huts, and they're all very lovely. And what are those different grass huts? And the, the guy said, well, the first one is my home. That's, that's where I live. And uh, the second one, he said, that's my church. Uh, that's where I go to church. And the rescuer said, well, what about the third one? He said, oh, well, the third. that's where I used to go to church, you know, you know. You know, know, not anymore. That's where, and sometimes the problem with church is in the mirror, you know, when we look in the mirror. Well, Paul felt this way about the church at Corinth there was bickering and there was fighting and there was arguing and they were trying to figure out how to do life and it was just really a difficult time for them. And Paul recognized that there were these pressures that were being put upon the church at Corinth, and those pressures came in the form of false teachers or false apostles though who those who brought a different gospel those who talked about something other than Jesus and Jesus alone there were different categories one was a category that was called it was sophism a uh, a philosophy in the, in Jesus day it became very popular in the 4th century AD but sophism was the idea that through enlightenment and through excellence you can be saved. God can accept you. And if you are just in your mind and in your soul, enlightened and uh, excellent, you can be saved. It was kind of a leftover. It was kind of left over from 400 years previously with Plato and Aristotle, their philosophies, kind of the modern Western uh, philosophy of doing life. And so, Sophism was kind of left over from that. And that was infiltrating the church at Corinth. But then there was also the, the Gnostics. The Gnostics, the word Gnosis... In Greek, G N O S I S in Greek means knowledge. And the Gnostics believed that you could know God just through your mind. You just understand God enough. And I've known a lot of people in my life that feel like they could just figure out God in their own mind, recognizing that not recognizing how difficult it is for a finite mind to understand an infinite God. But Gnostics came along and said, you know what? What matters is really knowing knowing about God. And they said, because knowing matters so much, the body doesn't matter at all. And it was kind of a convenient way of doing religion, because if the body doesn't matter at all, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. So sex, drugs, and there was a lot of drugs in the first century around that area, uh, you know, drinking too much, all these things. That was okay because the body doesn't really matter. So it's kind of a convenient religion. But then the, 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 the one that really got to Paul the most were the Judaizers. The Judaizers were the closest to the truth and usually the enemy, Satan, brings us closest to the truth and that's where most of the danger lies. So uh, the Judaizers said this, okay, Jesus is cool, we love Jesus, he's good, he was here, he's alive, he's real, Uh, you know, we believe that stuff about the cross and the resurrection, so all that's good, but it's not enough. So it's Christ plus something else. And in their case, it was Christ plus the Old Testament covenant. Christ plus obeying the Ten Commandments plus the 613 commandments under that plus the thousands of commandments under that. Believing all that, checklist, doing all of that, uh, being circumcised. So it's Christ is good, but he's not enough. And that was the most dangerous false teacher of all because those are the teachers that infiltrate the church in our society today. Jesus is okay. It's good In fact, the, the Mormon church has done this very well, especially since the 70s. The Mormon Church uses the language of Christians. They've, they've adopted that in the 1970s, even though their religion is over 120 years old. And they adopted the so that they could be accepted mainline. But here's the problem. It's not Christ and Christ alone. It's the Bible plus the Pearl of Great Price plus the Book of Mormon. It's always Christ plus something else, the Bible plus something else. And, and Paul said, be very careful of that because these places and these people are going to want to infiltrate the church. And that brings us to our text for today. Uh, Paul talks about these, uh, in this fool's speech, uh, this literary um, irony. He talks about these two chapters, but I'm going to just be reading a few verses from chapter 11, the first four verses, and then skip down to verses 12 through 15. And these verses will get you the feel, you'll get the feeling of what Paul is trying to say. Uh, about these false teachers, uh, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 11. This is the word of God for Hope Covenant Church. I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Okay, that's going back to that fool speech. Please bear with me, for I am, a, I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. Paul says, be very careful. These people come, uh, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, they sound right, they look right, everything looks good, but be very careful. The message they bring is Jesus plus something else. And Paul says it's always Christ and Christ alone. Now we pick it up at verse 12. But I will con- oh, By the way, I was told in the first service that I think we got the NIV up here and I'm reading the NLT, so if it feels a little different, but it's the same message. But I will continue doing what I've always done, This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked's their wicked deeds deserve. So this is the text that we're looking at today. Now, uh, Eugene Peterson in the message talks about uh, verse 13. He translates it this way. This is really good translation of verse 13. Listen to what he says. Talking about the the uh, uh, the false teachers. They're a sorry bunch. Pseudo apostles, lying preachers, crooked workers, posing as Christ's agents but shame, shameful to the core. I mean, ouch, those are pretty harsh words. But that was the danger of this, these false teachers coming to the church at Corinth and turning their hearts and their eyes away from Jesus. So Paul here paints three pictures, or you could say snapshots, of the danger of false prophets. Now, each of these pictures offer a truth to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So remember, the goal of this sermon is to recognize false prophets, false teachers, and to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Picture number one, a jealous father of the bride. Okay, so we all know what that's going to look like, right? A jealous father of the bride. Remember that movie from the 1980s? Steve Martin was so jealous of this new boyfriend that had taken his daughter's heart. And he was, I remember one point in the movie, he goes, yeah, well, he's just so perfect. You know, he's just such a perfect, and this kind of jealousy, and I'll tell you why. It seems kind of silly in the movie, but anybody of, anyone in here that is a father, and especially a father of a daughter, I understand Steve Martin, because I am jealous for my daughter. When she was, um, Uh, growing up as a teenager, I was jealous about who she would see. I was jealous about who wanted to marry her. I wanted the very best for her. Now, there's a difference. We talk about jealousy in a negative way. It's a jealousy of someone, of someone, kind of they've won an award or done something good. That is a sin, the Bible says. But we're talking about jealousy for someone. A jealousy that protects them, that desires no harm would come to them. That's what Paul was talking about in this text. So when I was, um, oh, I don't know, it's been how long have Tammy and Nathan been married? 10 years? So my daughter and her husband uh, have been married for 10 years. So 10 years ago, actually going back even about 13 years ago, our daughter moved to Portland to work at um, a seminary there and get her work on her master's degree. And while she was there, uh, she met Nathan. They, met at a, uh, they both sang on a worship team at a local church, and they met there. And over the next two or three years, they fell in love. And we could see every time we saw them, they were getting closer and obviously more serious. And so I knew eventually this call would come, right, dads? And the call, uh, uh, Mr. Cross, uh, yes, Nathan, what is it? And I, I didn't make it easy for him at all. He said, um, I, I have a question I'd like to ask you. I'd say, okay, I, I'm, I'm pretty good, part of my job description is answering questions that people ask me, so I can do that. He said, and then there's a long pause on the phone, he didn't know my sarcasm very well at the time, and uh, he said, um, I would like to ask for your permission for your daughter's hand in marriage. And then I just gave this pregnant silence, you know, <laughs> it seemed like forever just to torture the young man, it was so cool. and. Uh, and so there's this long silence, and finally I say this, I said, Nathan, you can have my daughter's hand in marriage, but absolutely nothing else. <laughs> now, he didn't understand that I was kind of joking. Again, there was this dead silence. Finally, he said, Mr. Cross, are you, are you joking with me? I said, yes, Nathan, I'm, I'm joking with you. But I understand what it means to be jealous for my daughter." to be jealous that that no one is going to come and take her away unless they they love her with all their heart and they're devoted to God and they promise to raise the children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I am jealous for my daughter. And Paul comes along and says, I have that same jealousy for you, church at Corinth, and it's a jealousy that comes from God. I am jealous for you because I see some of you turning away from Jesus to these false teachers, these false prophets. I see some of you hearing the siren call of something else. Jesus is the only one that will satisfy you. But some of you are saying, well, but yeah, but maybe this will satisfy me. Or maybe this drug or alcohol or sex or relationship or this job or this promotion or this chariot or this home or something will satisfy the emptiness of my soul. And Paul said, no, nothing will satisfy you. Listen to verse two. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ, I promise to you, church at Corinth, to one husband, Christ. You don't need any other husband. You only need him. He is jealous for you, we sang in our song earlier. So how many of you, in the first service we just had one person, how many of you are from Texas? Texas? Okay, Bree. Anybody else from Texas? Okay, got one Texan. So this is for you. So if Paul was uh, talking uh, from Texas about this, it would be a kind of a different twist. Here's what he'd say. Paul would be daddy sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair with a shotgun across his lap, saying to these teachers, these false prophets, said, you want to do what with my little girl? You want to take my little girl and lead her astray? Brother, you better get out of here or I'll fill you so full of buckshot and then just, just see him scamper. away. This is what Paul was saying to the church. He said, beware of these false teachers. They're trying to lead this little girl, this new church, this ecclesia in Corinth that Paul himself had led many of them to Christ himself. These false teachers trying to lead their little girl away from, their bri- from the bridegroom that was promised to them, Jesus Christ. Um, A really good author by the name of Steve Zeisler said it this way. Paul came to Corinth and became their spiritual father. And the church that was born in Corinth was readied as a bride for her husband. See, the church is called, we are the bride awaiting the return of the bridegroom, the coming of the bridegroom. At midnight, the bridegroom will come for the bride. We are the bride, the church of Jesus Christ. One day Christ will return for his church, right? That's what he's talking about. Now since the Lord had not yet returned, they should be waiting patiently, growing in love with their beloved, looking forward to the day when the bridegroom will come for the bride. But instead, they were being seduced by good-looking, fast-talking, spiritual gigolos who were turning the head of the bride. They were listening to voices that offered other opportunities, seducing them away from the one for whom they were intended." Paul says, I am jealous for you. I don't want anybody to get between you and your beloved Jesus Christ. So here's your takeaway truth, the very first takeaway truth from this first picture. God is jealous for you. God is jealous for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. That last song that we sang, that he loves you, I am always so moved by that because it is so real to me. How can God love me? A person who gave his life to Christ at an early age, gave his life to ministry, and then failed God so miserably, how can God possibly love me? God says, I am jealous for you. Look at verse chap- chapter 11, verse 3, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Paul says to the church at Corinth, listen, you are the bride of Christ. You are the forgiven, redeemed, washed in the blood, bride of the Lamb of God. Don't look away from God. Don't look away to other gigolos. Don't look away to other lovers. Don't stray in your minds and your thinking and your devotion. Don't be torn away by those shiny things, by those relationships that never satisfy. Don't turn away to other philosophies and isms and idols. Don't turn to other gods. I mean, do you really know why God hates sin and idolatry so much? Because sin and idolatry are the things that are trying to take you away from your heavenly Father. That's why he hates them. He never hates the person, but he hates the sin that always is shiny and telling you, just come on over here. The the enemy always whispers, come on over here. This is where you'll find satisfaction. This drug, this alcohol, this sexual encounter, this thing, this is where you'll find sadness. Just come on over here. Paul says, I am jealous for you. I will not let anything stand in the way of God's love for you. So I, um, in March of 1970, um, I had known my wife long enough to know that I wanted to live with her for the rest of my life. I, well, actually, I'd known her for 10 days, but uh, that was soon enough for me. And so her parents were gone, and I went over to her house. She made dinner, and I laid a blanket out in front of the fireplace. It was very romantic, very, very cool. She never expected this was going to happen because we had known each other for 10 days. And so all this happened, and I hadn't even bought a ring yet or anything, but I said, honey, you are the only one for me, and I asked her to marry me. Right 10 days after we met each other and it was beautiful, and it was romantic, and of course, you know what she said, you know, how could she resist? And and she said yes, and we called our parents, and her parents were out of town, and called my parents, and it was just wonderful. We had a beautiful evening. I went home that night, uh, uh, and uh, I was supposed to come back the next morning. She was going to make me breakfast the next morning, kind of celebrate, and so uh, I got up early the next morning, and got dressed, and put on my best cologne, and went back over to her house, and she was cooking breakfast, very domestic, and very cool, and And as she was making breakfast, there was a a knock on the door. I said, oh, uh, do you want me to get that? Uh, Yeah, would you get it? I'm busy cooking. So I went out there, and here's this young man. And I said, "Uh, can I help you? And he said, well, I'm here to see Sherry. (laughs) I kind of puff up, you know. And you have to use your imagination, but I used to be in really good shape. And uh, so... (laughs) I was kind of puffed. If I had time, I would have put out some push-ups, you know, and build my, you know, a little bit, my guns, and so I said, oh, well, she's busy right now. Who, who are you? Well, I, I'm a former boyfriend, and I just wanted to come and visit her, and I said, uh, this is my territory, you know, it's like, you know, peeing on a tree, you know, <laughs> you know yeah, this is my territory now, you know, as of last night, 10 days, you know, this is... And I was not very nice to the guy. And finally, I didn't let Sherry, Sherry didn't even know what was going on. And finally, he he went away. But uh, I was jealous for her. There was nothing that was going to stand between she and I. Nothing, especially a former boyfriend. God is jealous for you. And when your heart starts wandering towards things that you used to believe would fill you up, God is jealous for you, and he will do everything in his power to bring you back into that pure, unadulterated, beautiful love relationship of a bride and a groom. God is jealous for you. That's picture number one, the jealous father. Picture number two, Eve deceived. Now, when you get home, say that 10 times. I tried it, and I couldn't do it. Eve deceived. Let's take a look at that. Okay, that's a great picture. Uh, I was looking for some pictures of Eve to show you, and I didn't really find any. They were Renaissance paintings that weren't appropriate for church. So I asked Pastor Ryan to find one, and he did a good job of finding one. Eve deceived. Now, most of you that have been around the Bible in church uh, know about the story of Genesis, which is the beginning of all things. And uh, Genesis, in chapter 3, it talks about God made Adam and Eve, and then he made this amazing, beautiful garden that they were to live in, it was perfect. It was perfect weather all the time. All the the trees were heavy with fruit. Uh, The animals were walking around saying, shoot me and eat me. You know, it it was amazing, it was perfect. I mean, there was nothing that could go wrong. I mean, just think of Eve for a minute, just think of her. I mean, she had no mother-in-law to compare cooking to. With You know, Adam just loved her cooking, and, 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 and it, was, it was great. She said, I, I, I don't have any, there's no former girlfriends I have to beat away from the door. She said, I don't, never say these words, I don't have anything to wear, because she didn't have anything to wear. And, 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 and then Satan comes along and, and whispers to her, Now, imagine, God said, all of this garden is for you. Thousands upon thousands of lush, heavy-born fruit trees and delicious things, and it's all for you. There's one tree over here, and this is where uh, free will, or your ability to choose, God introduced to mankind. This tree over here is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't want to know that. Believe me, I know I'm God, right? You don't want to know that. So I'm giving you a chance to use your free will to love me and to say yes to me by saying no to that tree. Now, the other thousands and thousands of trees are all yours. You can live in Xanadu for the rest of your life. It's gonna be awesome. There's no sin, there's no brokenness, it's all great. But then Adam and Eve both kind of look over, well, that tree looks pretty good, you know? <laughs> of course, there's all these others, but that tree... So here we have Satan come along, and Satan whispers, actually hisses. He's in the form of a serpent. Satan hisses to Eve. And the first thing Satan does is he questions God's Word. And he says, did God really say that you should not eat of that tree? Really? You know what everybody says these days, last few years, really? Seriously? I get so tired of that. Really? Seriously? Does God really say that You're not supposed to. So the first thing he says, you question God's word. And how many times do we do that? Even as believers, we question God's word. Well, does the Bible really say that? Does God really want me to live that kind of life, that kind of pure life and stay away from these other? Really? So the first thing Satan hisses, he whispers is, he questions God's word. The second thing he does is he changes God's word, just changes a little bit, right? Just a nuance. Didn't God say you could eat from any tree? So God had said, I want you to eat from any tree except this one. So Satan just changes a little bit, just cuts off that last part. Didn't God say you could eat from any tree? And again, Satan's tactic is always whispering. And just, just imagine, if all those trees are good and apples and pomegranates and great things, just think how much better this one must be if all of these are good. So he changes God's word. And then Satan denies God's word. God had said, if you eat of that tree, you will die. Spiritually, you will die. You'll be, which meant you'll be separated from me, and you don't want to do that because I just created you. I love you, but I want you to choose me. So don't do that because you'll die spiritually. And and Satan comes along, and he whispers, he kind of hisses. He said, you will not die. You will not die. I mean, come on. Isn't God a God of grace, and isn't he a benevolent God? God would never do anything to harm you. He's a good God. He would, he, he, it will, you will not die if you eat that tree. And the last eat of that tree, and the last thing that Satan whispered to Eve was this. Uh, he replaces God's word. You will be like God if you eat of that fruit. See, that always happens when God wants us to become God. Satan always wants us to take the place of God. I know better. How many times you heard somebody say, well, I don't follow any religions. I follow my own religion. Okay, that's great. You know, our earth has seen about 30 billion people since the beginning of time. And finally, we have you, you know, Joe Schmo, you've discovered the key to eternal life and everything, right? You have your own religion. Come on, get real, right? But Satan replaces the word of God. You will be like God if you eat of that fruit. So that temptation over there, that shiny object, if you're a bass, right? That, that car, that relationship, that, that drug, that thing over there that is so shiny, that, that is what you really want. That's more important than anything God could poss- possibly say. So those are all the whisperings, the hissing of the enemy here's the takeaway truth for this picture. We must guard against false teaching. And it always starts with, well, the Bible couldn't really say that because really this is what it means, or no, you really don't want to believe that about God because he's too nice. He would never do that. And so all of these false teachings say, just stay a little bit away from God's word and listen to me. It's a different gospel, a different way to God. Every single religion is a way of getting to God. And every one of those religions in the world, except for Christianity, all have one unique thing that is exactly the same, and it's this. They all say, you have to earn your way. The truth is, we can't earn our way. The Bible says that we have not a good thing in us. We have turned away because of our own sin. And all the world's really said, no, if you obey the rules, if you check the boxes, if you do what I say, if you do this certain system, then you're gonna be okay, and God will like you. That's religion. Religion is somehow man trying to find God. Christianity, that thing still detr- distracts me. I feel like breaking out my bell bottoms. But, <laughs> yeah, but, the, but, but God says, okay, that's religion. But God says, no, Christianity is man, God reaching down to man. It's saying, I created a way for you to be saved by Jesus living a perfect life and you receiving him as your Lord and Savior. I must guard against faults teaching. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. No one comes to the Father except by me. All the world wants to have different gods. Oh, this God is a better God. This God is a good God. This God is a nice God. This God will let you do whatever you want. And all of these different gods, and Jesus said, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. See, the heresy that always sneaks into the church, and it certainly has snuck into our society, is this. It's Jesus plus something. Jesus plus Judaism. Jesus plus speaking in tongues. Jesus plus healing. Jesus plus giving. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus anything. And Paul says, no, it's Christ and it's Christ alone. You don't need anything else. That emptiness in your soul can only be filled by the love and the grace of Jesus. There is no room for anything else when Jesus is in your life. But you're looking at the shiny object Maybe that will fill me up. Maybe that will satisfy me. That's when the enemy comes along and says, just try this. Come on over here. God doesn't really mean that. Just come on over here. Try this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Picture number two is Eve deceived. And we must guard against a false teaching that is Christ plus anything is heresy. Picture number three a masked man. Now, we couldn't find, unless we put up the Lone Ranger, we didn't find a picture of the masked man. But this is a picture of Satan. Now, we intentionally found this picture because it's two things. It's dark and it's ominous. And Satan is both of those things. But what you can't make out clearly is kind of the features of Satan. And that's for a very good reason. Satan never lets his features be seen. They're always covered with a mask. Satan his, and his servants are masters of disguise. Listen to 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14, and 15. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves. So not only Satan, but the servants of Satan, these false teachers, disguise themselves, uh, uh, you know, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. They disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Theologian Robert uh, Deffenbaugh says it well. Satan does not come to us as the arch enemy of God, the ultimate evildoer. He comes disguised as an angel of light, not as one who promotes evil. He would rather look like Mother Teresa than Charles Manson if the archenemy of God operates by deceit and disguise, why should we expect his underlings to be different from their master? They too come to us disguised as servants of righteousness, or as Jesus said, as wolves in sheep's clothing. So here's the takeaway truth for picture number three. I must recognize the real teachers of God's word. It always comes in a disguise. The enemy always uses a disguise. Oh, that looks pretty good. That looks pretty shiny. That looks pretty good. That particular thing, that particular thing, that person will fill me, will satisfy me. I must recognize the real teachers of God's word. Now, what's interesting, if you go to a a bank, if you work in a bank, uh, they will teach you about counterfeit money. Uh, how many of you seen, you go to a movie theater or a bank, and if you give them a $100 bill, uh, and they'll always, or even a 20 right? They'll hold it up, and they're looking for something, right? They're looking for something. So they don't teach bank tellers how to recognize counterfeits. They teach bank tellers how to recognize the real thing, the true thing. So if it's not a real $100 bill, that means it's a counterfeit. So they're not looking for, you know, weird pictures or, you know, a a different president or something like that. They're looking to see and identify if it's the real thing. That's what we must do. We must be able to recognize the real deal. We must be able to hear and know and understand when a teacher is teaching the Word of God. So here's, here's three things, three things I want you to write down. These are ways to know if somebody is a true teacher of the Word of God. First of all, are they biblical? Are they teaching the Word of God? Now, here's, here's the tricky part with that one. You can say, I think he's biblical, but I have no idea because I don't know the Bible. Okay, so that tells you their first thing. In order for you to detect whether or not somebody's biblical, you have to be biblical. And I tell you this every Sunday, read your Bibles. It talks about all kinds of cool stuff. It talks about how much God loves you. Read your Bibles. The more you read your Bibles, the more you will recognize the real thing. Number two, are they deeply in love with Jesus? Not deeply in love with their own words, not deeply in love with their own scholarship, not deeply in love with the way they sound. Are they deeply in love with Jesus? And most of us realize that, you know what? if we get to know somebody, we can know that pretty, pretty fast. The third thing is this. Are they fruit bearers? Do their lives bear out the fruit of the Spirit? Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, meekness, and self-control. Are those the things that are evident in the life of a teacher or a prophet, not only in the church, but in the world? Do they exhibit, are they fruit bearers? Do they exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. So let's review Paul's three warnings about false prophets, these three pictures, right? The first one was the jealous father. God says, I am jealous for you. I don't want your eyes or your hearts to turn towards any other lover. I don't want you to to, to be assuaged. I don't want you to be encouraged to look somewhere else. The only thing that will satisfy you is Jesus Christ and him alone. The second thing, the second picture we had was Eve deceived. See, it's not by just hearing and knowing about the Bible. It's hearing and knowing God, the God of the Bible, personally in a way that you can only know Jesus. Jesus says, I will fill that emptiness within you. Eve deceived. And the third was the masked man. Satan is not some hideous monster, but he could be the health and wealth preacher on television. He could have a good suit on. He can wear Pradas. He can do whatever he wants. And he will show up and say, just come over here come over here. This is what's going to satisfy you. That God thing, that Jesus thing that's not working out too well for you, but come on over here. This shiny thing, this new thing, this relationship, this this is what's going to satisfy you. We must avoid the enemy's attempt to distract us from, and this is really important, to distract us from the vital simplicity of a love relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we make it so hard. We make the gospel so hard. It's hard because God gave his only son that we might experience life, but it's easy because the Bible says all we need is the, 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 the size of a mustard seed of faith to receive that love from Jesus Christ. The vital simplicity of a love relationship with Jesus. When you know him and you know his heart, false teachers just kind of fall away because you know the heart of Jesus. You know the fruit of the spirit that comes from him and comes through those who teach the word of God. Jesus says this is so simple. This gospel is so real and so simple that even a child can know it. The great Swiss theologian, Karl Barth, is recognized as one of the great minds of the 20th century. One day he was visiting a seminary and he was asked during a Q&A session, he was asked this question What is the greatest theological thought that has ever crossed your mind? Now, can you imagine asking Karl Barth, What is the greatest theological thought that has ever crossed your mind? They all expected, of course, some deep, complicated theological answer, but instead, Karl Barth said this Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes. Jesus loves me. The most simple, the most radiant, the most alive relationship we have with God is that simple faith that draws into a relationship with God's son, Jesus, and gives us the ability to say, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Thank you, Father, for the simple truth of your word. Thank you, Father, for this enormous call in our lives that you are jealous for us. When you see us turning to another God, when you see us turning to that shiny object, you will do anything in your power to draw us back to a relationship with you. You are jealous for us because there is only one God that can fulfill and satisfy the inner need of every human being, and that's Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, may we know this truth, may we be this truth, may we live this truth, may we embrace this truth. Father, I just want to pray this morning for those here who maybe have been drawn away by false words, by whispers of Satan, by false teachers. They've gone to a place that is not about Jesus and Jesus alone. I pray, Father, that you would draw them back to your heart, draw them back to the truth, draw them back home, home to where the Father is, home to where truth is, home to where light is, the very essence, the very thought, the very relationship that we have with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that every person in this room would be drawn toward that relationship with you today. We love you, Father. We thank you for, your, for the joy that you give us. We thank you for the peace that you bring us. We thank you, Father, for the everlasting life, the gift that keeps on giving every moment, every day, and throughout all eternity. We thank you for your love, and we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.